Here we go. Here we go. Hey, um, in some ways this is the weirdest Sunday we've ever had at Good News. We're somewhere between the coronavirus um, shutdown and having a normal service and even have Valerie back. Valerie, Valerie Johnson was a member early on at Good News Church. She moved away 20 years ago. And she's moving back. I just found out she's moving back to Augusta. Welcome back to Augusta. So we're, we're, hey, oh, we're excited to uh, renew our friendship and to um, see what God's been doing in your life in the last 20 years. So it's interesting. So um, then we also have baby Phoenix here for the first time. Hey, little buddy. <laughs> so um, he was born, I don't know, like seven months ago, long time ago. And um, then he couldn't come because we were all shut down. And so now he's here. So welcome him. And Jordy's back there. Hello. And so it's good to see everybody. Baby Grace, this is your first time in service with us. And Rachel's back with her two kids. And so y'all are all welcome here having a family service. And uh, it's a good thing I'm speaking today because I am used to talking a lot when children are. <laughs> I do most of my best talking when children are, are yelling. Um, I had a lot of experience with that in my life. But anyway, we do have, if you um, want to leave, you want to take your kids out because of maybe, you know, we're bothering them. Um, you can, um, the Breaker Bay room up the hallway and to the right, that room is set up and there's a feed in there if you want to take your kids in there. Um, like I said, like if we're bothering them, but they won't bother us. But on the 28th, so two weeks from today, we will um, open up a couple of classes, nursery and a, a class for older kids for um, to start back with returning to some semblance of what we do with kids ministry. Um, and we'll do that two weeks from today. Next week is Father's Day. And I heard that little baby Miles Ivy is coming. I don't know. We'll see. But um, that could be. Could meet a new friend that day. If you have your Bible, open over to Acts chapter um, 6. I'm going to just share with us for a few minutes from the book of Acts and some things that God's put on our hearts. I want to share about this. this is something I read last week as we received the offering, and I want to read it again today and just expand on it a little bit. All of you who are out of town, I hope y'all are, um, you know, um, being safe wherever you are. My brother sent me some pictures yesterday from the beach at Hilton Head and there was no social distancing going on down there, let me tell you. But uh, I'm, just, I'm just thankful that God, he surrounds us. He keeps us. He keeps us today and we use wisdom, but he keeps us. Are y'all in Acts chapter 6 yet? Acts chapter 6, it says, Now in those days, verse 1, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Several translations, you don't use the word neglected. They use the words they were discriminated against. And then verse 2, Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Verse 7, then the word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now, chapter 6 
of Acts is interesting because the chapter before was the Ananias and Sapphira chapter, which, you know, when you get the big revelation about that, we can talk about that. (laughs) But here we are in chapter six and we see a big disturbance in um, really the first um, conflict in the early church. So we'd had the day of Pentecost where there were people from um, lots of ethnicities that had gathered there in Jerusalem that were Jews, but they, you know, their faith was Judaism, but their, um, they, they didn't, they weren't all um, of, this, of the same ethnicity. And so they had gathered from other places, other lands that had come there and they were there on the day of Pentecost. And many of those people or some of those people then began to follow Jesus and became Christ followers, which at that time was just a sect of Judaism. So they were Christ following Jews still. So they had that commonality of faith, but they, that didn't mean they looked alike or shared the same culture, or even the same language. They were different people and God was bringing them together. And then in the midst of God bringing them together, they formed a, um, um, you know, what we would call the early church, but there was a problem in the early church. There was a complaint. And it's interesting that the first problem that they faced together like this was a problem of discrimination. It was a problem of neglect. I said last week, some scholars um, say it wasn't necessarily discrimination. Others say it was definitely discrimination. Some just term it neglect. But the idea is that that the widows were being taken care of, the, the poor, those who were dependent on the community to care for them, but a, a certain group of them were being neglected. And so even if it was just, there was no... Um, ill intent behind it, I guess the idea that you're neglecting a whole group of people is still a form of, that's not good. That's still a form of discrimination. You're overlooking them because you were making sure your mama got what was due her. And so you just were overlooking somebody else's mama. And so that, that's what was going on. And so I I want you to see here that this happened in the church. We're not talking about something that was happening out in the community that was happening in Jerusalem or in Israel. We're talking about something that was going on in the church. Do you understand? There were problems and conflicts in the church because people of different ethnicities were being overlooked. So this was happening in the church. And so that's what I'm talking about today is something that was happening in the church. Because we can look at the world and say what's going on in the world, but what's about what's happening in the church? But there's some things in here. Some of them I pointed out last week. I didn't, I wasn't speaking last week, so I didn't really share a lot of this. But one of the things that really caught my attention when I have been reading this and studying this and meditating on this is the idea that these Greek-speaking Jews, so there, there were the Hebrew Jews and the Greek Jews. So the Hebrews and the Greeks, those were two different ethnic groups. And so the Greeks, they were in the minority in this group, but yet they felt that they had the place, the agency, the power to stand up and complain because there arose this complaint from them. So there was room for them in the fellowship for somebody to call out a wrong that was being done, an injustice, something that wasn't right that was happening. And they had, the room was made for them. There was an opening there. They were open enough that they were able to to make this complaint. And one thing that really strikes me about it is when they brought up this complaint, they weren't rebuked for complaining. 
They weren't rebuked for calling attention to the, the wrong, the injustice. Nobody stood up and said, well, we're all Christians here. You just need to lump it and shut up and love. You know, just love and, 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 and love one another and everything will be okay. And that's not what they did. They didn't rebuke the people who were saying, hey, something's out of whack here. Something's wrong that's happening to some of us and we need to make it right. Nobody rebuked them for that. In fact, they listened to them. And not only did they listen to them, they responded. And they responded by dealing with the situation. They just didn't bury their head in the sand and say, well, we sure hope this gets better. No, they made a a response, a plan. And it's interesting too, they made a plan and it was a plan that came from God and it was a plan for the people of God. And it was a plan that was born of the Spirit of God. It wasn't just an earthly plan. It wasn't just, let's call the city fathers and see what they think we should do. It was God's people making a plan. And they, what did they do? They dealt with this situation. They didn't just ignore it. And they chose, the Bible says what I just read here, they chose seven men to deal with this situation. And they chose seven men of good reputation. Seven men that everybody trusted. They chose these people that everybody trusted. So they didn't just get, you know, any old body. They got seven men that everybody trusted that were full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And these were the people that they chose. And they brought them in and they said, and, and, and everybody liked this idea that they came up with. Let's resolve it. So it was something that they went to the people and got consensus for. Everybody said, hey, this sounds good. So then together they chose these seven men who they were going to be. Men that were of good reputation, that were trustworthy, that people felt good about. They were obviously people that displayed some kind of Christ-like character. And they were people that were full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And they chose them. Now it's interesting because it's kind of blind to us because these names are mostly foreign names to us. We don't get it. But if you learn a little bit more, you study a little bit, you realize that of these seven men, five of these men were Greek. So there were seven people. The problem was the Greek widows were being overlooked or discriminated against. So when they were going to solve this problem, they, they, they get these seven men who are going to work on this problem to solve this problem but they five of the seven were actually the of the same ethnicity as the people who were being discriminated against isn't that interesting they didn't just get seven of the hebrew jews to solve the problem they got there was a group of them there were some hebrew jews two of them but five of them were the greek-speaking jews that they chose that's interesting right right So in that, I see a couple of things. First of all, the people who see the wrong might be the people God uses to bring forth the right. You know, and I think one problem we've had um, in things is that there's certain people that think they're supposed to solve all the problems and they don't even know what the problems are. But somehow or another, because of, of how they see themselves, they think, oh, I'm in charge. Let me solve the problem. You don't even know what the problem is. So that's a problem. But these are people, maybe some of these are the very guys who saw there's a problem and they stood up and said, and maybe they were part of the part, ones that said, hey, there's an issue here. And, and people recognize, hey, you got the wisdom of God on you. You're, you're a trustworthy guy. You're full of the Holy Spirit. Why don't you let God use you to bring about the solution? Why don't you let God use you to bring forth the change that's needed? 
So I see that there's, that's the people that are, that were on the job. The other thing I see about it is that in solving an issue that was brought up, a specific issue, these Greek speaking widows were being neglected. So there's a problem with discrimination and maybe it was being manifested in other areas of the church community, but maybe that was the place where it was so blatant that they could focus on dealing with it. Because if it really was discrimination, it wasn't just in this one spot. It was in other spots. But maybe this was the one they could begin to to start the dealing with it was there. It was an issue that could be addressed. And But in them selecting five of the seven as being the very people who were being discriminated against... In choosing them, they brought them to the to the actual leaders, the 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 apostles, and the apostles laid hands on them. In that moment, you realize that's the first time this had happened in the new in the early church, right? In that moment, the apostles were recognizing and were um, really authorizing new leaders in the movement. And they were promoting people from the very group that were being discriminated against. They were bringing them into a place of leadership. So it was a real moment of empowerment in the church. It was a real moment of empowerment. It was a time when the people who had been being discriminated against were actually raised up in authority over all the people. They were being raised up as leaders in the movement. So two things were happening. The problem was being solved, but there was also empowerment of the very people who were being discriminated against, that same ethnicity. So all that's going on in these few verses. It's interesting that we don't hear about anymore. If you read from here to the end of the book of Acts and you read all Paul's writings, you do not see anywhere where this was a problem again. So I would say based on that, it seems like these seven men were able to deal with it and the plan that God gave them, they were able to work this out. Now, there were plenty of other problems, but this specific problem wasn't mentioned in this way. So thank God for that. Aren't you glad problems can actually be resolved? Because I don't know about you, sometimes it feels hopeless. Like, can we even resolve any problems? Problems are so big. They found something that worked because they looked to God and God gave them a solution He said, we need to, one of the things we need to do, and I believe part of the plan was we need to bring power and leadership and agency to people who haven't had it. And then giving them some leadership and authority, it's going to, the more people that have say in this are going to see about everybody. And it's not just going to be these three guys over here who are all Jews that are Hebrew Jews, they're not going to resolve all the problems. We're going to spread out the authority here. And you know, in the early church, if you then begin to study what's going on in the New Testament, Paul then, as he would go out and and train people and take the gospel into the world, you start seeing leaders from all kinds of nations and places. It wasn't just the Hebrew Jews that continued to remain the leaders of the body of Christ, but wherever people came from who came into the body of Christ, there were leaders in those areas. There were leaders in that area. One thing that's happened in world, I've done a lot of studying about world missions and what's happened. And one of the big problems in world missions is that people from America, people that look like me, have gone around the world to reach the world and put themselves in positions of leadership all over the world. 
and haven't raised up national leaders in those places. And it's created some really bizarre situations. And it's really not worked well. Because you have a gospel then that's being represented by somebody that looks like me in a nation where the people there don't look at all like me. But it's being led by people that look like me. And that's not how the kingdom works. That is not how the kingdom works. But that's what's happened all over the world. And right in the last 50 years in particular, there have been people who have actively been pursuing overturning that model of ministry kind of the colonization model of ministry that Americans launched as missionaries and have been changing that because the church and the leaders of the church in every locale should look like the people of that locale if we're really going to reflect what God's plan is and purpose God is a God of all peoples and so there, there, there is that so there's that leadership that was raised up and, and brought forth and so there you go <laughs> and then what I want you to see, they did this, they dealt with the issue head on, the mission of the church. Now, here's another interesting point of it all that, that needs to be made. If you read these, one thing that's very evident is this. At no point did the early church say, we are abandoning the mission that God has given us to go into every people group and make disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel. We're going to set that aside. And our new mission now is going to be to right the wrongs that are done to the Hellenic Jews. They never said we're changing our mission. And if you read the rest of Acts, they did not change their mission. In fact, the apostles said, this is a problem that needs to be resolved and we're going to deal with it. But we're going to continue with the mission that God has given us. And we're not going to let this problem become the new mission of our church. It is one thing that has to be dealt with and we need to deal with it. And it's part of the gospel coming and the gospel being preached is rights have to, you know, wrongs have to be righted and justice has to be served. But it does not supersede the fact that the only way any freedom is going to come to any people, the only way any right righteousness is going to be worked, the only way any justice is going to come forth is if people hear and obey the gospel and Jesus becomes Lord. So we're going to devote ourselves to that, but we are still going to take care of these things that arise. Having faith that the gospel itself will right the wrongs. So those two things are going to exist simultaneously, but we're not going to just make this our cause. We're going to stay with the cause of Christ. And in the cause of Christ, as we continue to work that out and give place to him and see his kingdom come, it will bring righteousness and justice and we will follow the holy spirit and he will lead us to make things right and that's an important point for us all to remember that um, whatever we're doing whoever we are whatever we're facing whatever the issues are we are on a mission from god all of us and we're we're assigned from heaven to be partners with him in his mission and and causing it to come to fruition in the earth and there's going to be a lot of things that we face and a lot of wrongs that have to be right made right in the midst of all of this and we have to realize it's the power of the gospel that's going to bring the change the power of the gospel and so we have to keep that the central mission and deal with issues both of those things have to happen now verse 7 is encouraging because verse 7 says that the word of god spread 
And it seems, it's, it says, then the word of God spread. It's, it's, it's like what we did in these first six verses caused the word of God to spread. All of this happened, then the word of God spread. And it's like they had to get some things right in that local body. There was some division there. There was some people being neglected and discriminated against. Some things that had to be straightened out. And when they began to deal with those issues, then the word of God spread. The word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. So this is the outcome. You wouldn't think this wasn't the outcome of a big tent revival. This wasn't the outcome of a big healing meeting. This was the outcome of people people making things right in the realm of neglect, discriminations, and wronging people based on their ethnicity. Things when that began to be addressed and they began to make things right in that way and they brought into leadership people from the minority um, cultures that were represented, the word of God was advanced. Disciples began to be multiplied greatly. And then it says, and not only that, a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. And up until this point, they had not seen the priest, the religious Jewish leaders had not come to faith in Christ. They were still Jews. They were still opposing them. They had opposed Jesus and now they were still opposing the early church. But something about what they did is they rose up and said, we're going to make this thing right. It unleashed the power of God in such a way that it caused a revival. It unleashed the power of God in such a way that the word spread and the number of the disciples. And notice it says disciples multiplied it doesn't just say there were people saved we'd seen people calling on the name of the lord being saved but this was something different this is the disciples being multiplied this it's implied there's a much deeper commitment not just people you know trying to get you know get their get out of hell free card or trying to receive a healing but this is people committing their lives to jesus and their lives mutually to one another maybe suddenly people said that's a place those are people that are going to work out their issues those are people who are creating a safe a safe place those are people that are open to other ideas those are people that are willing to deal with the hard things and those are people that I that I can go and join and be part of and then the priest you know before these people were Hebrew Jewish Christ followers and Hellenic Jewish Christ followers, they had just been Hebrew Jews and uh, Hellenic Jews. You understand? And the priests don't think that they had not for generations already had to deal with the problems between the Greeks and the Hebrew Jews. They were having their own problems with them. If it was happening in the in the new Christ following church it had been happening in the Jewish community for generations that's what was left over really that's the reason it had come into the early church is because it was already present in the Jewish community the prejudice was already there in the Jewish community and then it came over into the church because those Jews came into the church but now the priests saw they're dealing with it and maybe, I don't know this, it doesn't say it, but maybe some of those priests said, look, this is the first time we've seen people be able to really solve some problems that we've been dealing with for generations. I think it was a sign to them. It was a wonder to them. It was like maybe, maybe there is something to this, 
message of love that we've heard, this message of forgiveness, this message of reconciliation, this message of giving people a new chance. Maybe there's really something to this that we haven't seen and they were able to then accept it and themselves become Christ followers and be obedient, not just believers, but obedient to the faith. We're going to change our ways and we're going to be obedient to this. Isn't this interesting? This all happened in Acts chapter 6, the first few verses. And when I read this, it reminds me of a lot of things happening around the world right now. And I just want to address that for a few minutes because I want to say, you know, there's just a few of us here today. You online probably can't see it, but there's just a handful of people here today. But even in this handful of people, we come from different ethnicities and different cultures in some ways. Now, where a lot of us... You know, we wouldn't even consider ourselves culturally different, but I'm going to tell you, there are some differences in people, and we just got to acknowledge that. You know what we need, though? We need people that are even more different to come in this place. And we need to go out to people who are even more different from us. Because that's what the kingdom looks like. Kingdom, you will see in our family Bible time today, the kingdom is much more diverse than any church you ever saw. Well, Here we are, and in our day, maybe we don't call them Hellenic Jews and Hebrew Jews. Maybe we say black Christians and white Christians. And maybe there's problems. Maybe there's discrimination. Maybe it's happening in the church. Maybe it's not. But we have to deal with it. It's certainly happening in the world. And there's certainly some really tough things that have been called, you know, come into the light. And what do we do? Well, the first thing that I'm going to say is this. There's a scripture in, in, in Thessalonians that says something like this. It says that we are not like those who grieve or sorrow who have no hope. This is a verse that we use when people are passing on, when we're ministering to the family of someone who's died. We grieve, but we're not like those who grieve without a hope. And in that, in that passage, the Lord's calling attention to the fact that we face in this world the same situations that other people do. But because of Jesus, because of the cross, because of his death, his burial, his resurrection, because he paid the penalty to free us from the curse of sin, from the law of sin and death. Because of that, and because we've been reborn and are now citizens of a heavenly kingdom and we belong to God or in, in, our, in his family and our lives are hidden in Christ, because of those things... We don't react to what's going on. We don't respond to what's happening in the same way that the world does. Just like the world grieves at death, they grieve. We grieve, but we don't grieve like those who don't have any hope. And I'll say this to you. We don't deal with what's going on in the world around us today like the world that has no hope. Because we are people of the great hope. Even if you feel hopeless, we have a hope in Christ. We may not have a lot of hope in each other, but we have great hope in him. And so if you've lost hope today, if you've been tempted to just abandon your hope, and I can understand why, my goodness, you've got to go back to the fact that he is the liberator of all. And without him, there is no freedom for any person. 
There's not. And so we have to go back to the fact that he is the one who makes things right. And that's where our hope is. And then we respond just like they did in the early church out of wisdom and out of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And we do it in such a way that we remain faithful to God and faithful to others, filled with the love of God, people of good reputation, meaning that we're people who others can trust. That's who we are. And if we will deal with situations in that way, we maybe can come to some solutions. Because I'm telling you, these are complicated issues and ain't nobody got all the answers but him. And I don't even pretend to have answers, but I do know this. I do know we can't just do what the world does and we can't look to the world and just join with whatever the world's got going and think that's going to be the answer. You can't join with the Republicans and you can't join with the Democrats and think that's going to be your answer. You can't join with secular organizations and think this is going to be my answer. Even though these things may bring good, they may bring forth some good ideas. The answers are only in Christ. And we have to focus on that. Now, I just have three words. I'm going to end here in just a minute. I just have three different concepts I want to bring to us as God's people. And I could teach on this for days, but I'm not. I'm just going to say this. Number one, we have to deal with these three things. And this is what I want you to have in your mind when you leave here is this. Number one, everything that we're experiencing, every thought, when you turn on social media and you read all these things that people are saying, everything on all sides is governed by fear. And and it's like this. There is a very real fear that people are experiencing that is justified based on human experience. We have videos of why you might be afraid. You're going to have to deal with that fear. Because even if it seems just, even if it's justified, it's still fear. And we are not of people who fear. You remember over and over we're told, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not. So we've got to deal with the fear. But the other, the other side is this. There are people who are extremely resistant to change or even somewhat resistant to change because they're really afraid of what am I going to lose if someone else has something if they get something if they're lifted up does that mean I lose that you're taken from me you know this is the big issue that so many people have had with affirmative action because white people say well if you get preferential treatment to get in college or to get a job or to whatever then what where does that leave me I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to do good or do well because you're going to have a hand up on me or leg up on me you see it's based in fear so we're just afraid we can't give people the you know we can't let people vote because we'll be afraid of what they might do to us it's really just about let me just keep take care of me y'all everywhere on every side we've got to step out of fear we got to trust god no matter what side you're on you got to trust god no matter no matter what your experience has been we all have to trust god if if everything we have is taken away we have to trust god if no one gives us anything we got to trust god that's first and foremost we have to deal with fear and 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 i can tell you whenever you hear something or you see something or something comes you know in comes across your um you know sc- the screen of your life whatever that might be you have to say 
is what I'm feeling based in fear? And is my reaction and my response based in fear? Sometimes it's easy to see because it literally is the fear that we all acknowledge, like our life is under threat or one of our loved one's life might be under threat. But you also need to recognize, am I feeling the way I'm feeling because I think somebody's trying to take something from me? That I'm not going to be as whatever as I think I should be or have been in the past? You've got to deal with that. That's fear. The second word I want to mention is this. Grace. Change only happens in an environment of grace. Grace is God's enabling power to change. And change will only come as we experience grace. Real change comes as a result of grace. It's God's divine... Because I'm going to tell you, we cannot bring change ourselves. We can, we can do a lot of things, but change comes. It's a heart matter. Transformation happens within, and it happens under the power of God, working on the heart of man. And that happens in an environment of grace. And so I want to say to you, first of all, check your fears. And the second thing is this. Whatever you do, whatever, that you, what you, whatever you step out to do, whatever you, seems right to you, is it filled with grace? Now, this is kind of unrelated, but I, I see a parallel with this. Matt and I um, have often discovered, well, we, we discovered it, and then we often see it repeated, this pattern. And we've seen this again and again. We saw it even before we ever pastored, and we've seen it again and again in pastoring. And it's, it's this issue with, in marriage, where there'll be a husband and wife, and one of them, and it's been more often the husband, but you think about this. Maybe you've seen this. There's a husband and wife, and one of them is a stronger believer than the other one. Or maybe one of them is a believer and the other one's not a believer at all. Have you ever seen a couple like that where one of them's more interested in the things of God? Maybe one of them's pursuing God, going to church. Somebody's interested. Maybe somebody's a believer. And and so then the dynamic becomes where kind of the people that are around them are aware that they're believing God for their mate to get on board or to be saved or come to church, whatever. There's all kinds of things we could describe there, but that's the basic gist is one of them's you know further along in maturing in Christ or knowing God than the other one and so this person their pursuit in life their prayers their their request to others is can you pray for them and they're they're believing God and they may even have scriptures and they're loving them and they're doing all these things to help bring this person forward but what we've seen is the weirdest phenomena and it's this we've noticed that oftentimes when the unbelieving mate starts making progress towards the things of God. Maybe they get saved. Maybe they start coming to church. Maybe they reconcile, you know, to God and and God starts moving in their life. What we found is that instead of the mate who's been believing for them, instead of that mate being super excited and on board and, and embracing it, what we found, it's the strangest thing, that person starts getting angry and they start resenting them. And, and we've seen marriages dissolve after they're both saved. Whereas they were together when one of them wasn't saved. We've seen that happen several times. And it's weird. Matt and I have discussed it many times. You would think he or she would be excited that he or she is, you know, is getting on with things. What's happening here? And the one thing that we've noticed is this. The person who's been believing God and standing, the person that was coming to God... They weren't doing it. They weren't coming to God in the way that I thought they should. Or it wasn't under my control. Or it wasn't the way, you know, 
or they get angry because they're like, why didn't you do it sooner? Or you haven't come far enough, fast enough. And there's just all that, it's like, I want you to come to God, but you got to do it my way on my timetable and the way I think you should and blah, blah, blah. And it's caused all, and, it, and, and I've literally seen couples divorce after God did a major work and brought and answered the very cry of their heart and it wasn't good enough for them and they divorced. They, they were willing to stay before, but now that you're saved, it's the weirdest thing. Weird. And I think the reason is, is because there wasn't real grace there. Maybe there was some grace and mercy before, but it, it evaporated when we started to see people move along. You got to do it on my timetable. You got to do it the way I think you should. You got to say it and you got, you got to go through all the steps that I, you know, here's my hoops and you got to jump through them. And, and maybe they didn't quite do it that way. And so what I'm saying is we need grace for one another because change is afoot. And if you haven't noticed, you, you're, you're just, I don't know, you're dense. Change is afoot. There's a change. There's a change in our nation. There's a change in the atmosphere. Wrongs are going to be made right. I, I believe they're in the process of starting. Some things are starting. But there's a mess going on meanwhile, too. A lot of stuff. People don't know what to say or think. I'm telling you, we all need to have grace and let God work. We need to have grace and we need to let him work. And it takes a while for God to change people. Have you noticed? Have you noticed in yourself? How long is it, God ta- how long is it taking God to change you? It's taken him a long time to change me. Um, I think about that all the time. I don't see much change week to week, month to month, maybe even year to year. But over 10 years, I can see the change. And let's have some grace for people that maybe they don't have it all right today. But God's working on them. Let's have a little grace. And then let's have some grace on people that you don't think they're acting right. You know, one, one thing has happened with, with everything that's been going on. And, and all, you, you hear this, there's, there's definitely people, in, you know, white people saying things like, well, I'd be okay if they weren't riding. I don't think that's what you should be saying. I think you should be saying this. Why are people so upset that they're willing to burn their own neighborhoods? I just don't get it. They're burning their own neighborhoods. They're just, you know, they're just shooting themselves in the foot. I think the question is this. Why would you be so upset and so out of your mind that you would set fire to your own neighborhood? Something bad must be going on for such a thing to be happening. Maybe we could ask that question instead of just condemning things when you, you aren't, you aren't even thinking, you aren't thinking and saying, man, I wonder, I wonder what's going on here. I think we are so quick to respond to what's happening with our opinions when the Bible says we should be slow to speak. What's the rest of that, Matt? Slow to be angry. And quick, quick to listen. Boy, boy, that's a word for us today. What about listening? What about saying, God, what is going on? What is happening because your life and what you experience is not the life and the experience that everybody else is having. And we're so naive. We just think that we just see the world through our own little eyes. 
This is, this is a place that, that really getting involved in missions and, and traveling to the world, it's helped me immensely to deal with my own community. Because when I go other places and I see what other, other people are drastically, dramatically different from me. They think totally different from me. And they are God's people and they know God. They know God just like I do. And they're very different from me. And I can be so narrow and think everybody's like me if they are Christian. Y'all, they're not. People are very different. I mean, Americans are really big on their Second Amendment rights. I had a person say, heard a person say, it's my God-given right to carry a gun. And I'm like, you are an idiot. It is your U.S. Constitution right, but it's it's never been your God-given right to carry a gun. You're just twisted if that's what you think. Because I go to Australia where they don't have guns, and they, the Christians in Australia, are appalled that we American Christians have guns. They're appalled. These are people who love God just like you, who know God like you do. And they can't believe Americans have guns. And they also cannot believe that at a funeral that, or a visitation that Americans lay out the dead, that you can come and look at the dead bodies. That also to them is just an agrarious, you know, that is just unbelievable. So we just have some real different ways of looking at the world. But let's just center in on what does the Bible say and then what does our culture say? Because our culture says a lot of stuff that the Bible doesn't say. Culture isn't, isn't right or wrong. It's culture. Some of it's wrong, but it's culture. Let's not put our culture where the Bible is. You see what I mean? Talking about grace, I'm almost finished. Grace, having grace for people because we're not gonna see change unless we all have grace. Everybody. And then the final one is humility because humility is what opens the door for grace. And humble yourself means you make yourself low. You come in low. And that's not something that we are very familiar with. Just in general, Americans don't know very much about humility. We're not used to it. And honestly, if you are a person who has had things have usually gone your way or things have been set up in life to kind of favor you in some ways, you particularly know very little about humility. You think, oh, everybody has what I have. Everybody's got the same opportunity. Life works like this for everybody. And you don't realize, no. Some humility, some bringing yourself low and recognizing that to whom much is given, much is required. And part of what is required is that you make yourself low and serve others and help them be lifted up this is the will of god for us we're the people who should be leading the lift up my neighbor love my neighbor put his interests first i don't just look out for my own interests, but i look out for the interest of others well how can i even look out for your interests if i don't even know what your interests are so part of humility is just shutting my mouth and listening Maybe asking some questions to some people so I can find out what is your experience, what is your life like. You know, we've been praying 80, I don't know, 88 days, some 80-something days every morning for an hour. And during the course of that, we've had a lot of interesting things happen and come out. But one morning, we had prayer, and someone came on the prayer call, a lady, and she was upset and unsettled because she had just had an experience where she'd been out shopping and 
she was shopping and in the middle of her shopping she was she was um, a black lady and there was a white man who had said some very ugly things to her and she felt threatened by what was said so much so that she said that when she got through doing what she was doing this man was saying these things to her she felt literally anxious and afraid to go outside because she thought what if that man follows me out and tries to hurt me And she's expressing this in our call. And we're all listening. And we're all listening in humility. We're all listening empathetically. We're all listening. And and I think many people on the call were listening like I was, thinking, nothing like this has ever happened to me. And honestly, it'd be hard for me to imagine this happening to me. But somebody I love deeply, this has happened to her. And it just, I mean, we were there and, I mean, it was serious. Because somebody was hurting and somebody, and I had no idea that this was the way this person was experiencing life. And it was was a wake-up call. Talk about, and that was, to me, that was a part of humility. Just to listen, just to say, hey, I need to, I need to be more aware of what's going on. God, I got to pray. I got to change. I got to move. I got to speak. I got to act. I got to do something. Because we can't just go on with people that, people feeling this way, this experience of life, that ain't right. And this kind of stuff happens a lot. So, you know, I'm not supposed to speak long because we're having shorter services. But y'all, I'm going to tell you. One thing that helped me a lot is when Tori Ivy came to live with us. Tori was Tori's just a little bit older than our sons. And when I saw what Tori had to deal with that my sons didn't have to deal with, you can't tell me that people of color, of Tori, a young black man, is not singled out. Tori pulled out of a car, handcuffed, thrown in the back of a police car, pushed down on the ground. In the same experience my sons have, the guy rolls down the, Harry rolls down the window, the guy puts his flashlight in and says, oh, okay, I'm sorry, and pushes him up and says, go on. In the same situation, Tori ends up in the back of a police car fearing for his life. I'm just like, what is happening? So I just, I just, you know, I'm not speaking on behalf of, of anybody. I'm just saying to you as a, as a leader in God's church, to the people we lead, that we sit in a room with each other. We don't really know what each other's feeling and experiencing. And we need to find out. And it's upon us to find out. It's on you. And that's part of humbling yourself. And this is not about you posting these memes on Facebook and trying to be funny and expressing your opinions and all this stuff. Y'all, this is real life. And if we want to see the number of disciples multiply greatly and we want to see the kingdom of God grow and expand, we got to deal with this stuff. And, and, and I think the reason we're seeing the world erupt like it is is because the church hasn't dealt with it. It's been okay with the church that we gather on Sunday over here in the black church and then over there in the white church. And we may live near each other and we may, we may work together a little bit, but when it comes down to it, we don't really want to be together. Or that's the way we act. Again, fear, lack of humility, I don't know what it is. But for whatever reason, 
we're here and it's us and I can't change the whole world but y'all what are we going to do we can pray and Lord we've been praying but we gotta we gotta well God what would you have us to do Let's just ask him, Father, what would you have us to do? What would you have me to do? What would you have us individually to do? What would you have us to do, Father? I mean, this is a strange day. We come to church and there's hardly anybody here. And most people are out of town and we're dealing with the coronavirus. And, and we, it's just weird. It's weird here. But there's, there, there's your hand is upon us and your life is within us. And you have, you still have a mission and you still want to see all people saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. You still want to see disciples made. You still want to see people healed. You want to see your power manifested. You still want your glory to cover the earth. That's what we want. That's our heart. That's our desire. But change us, Father. Show us how do we stay on mission with you but still be part of righting wrongs. You gave the early church the plan of what to do. Father, I pray you give us plans. You give us plans. In Jesus' name, we won't be filled with fear. We won't be people who propagate fear. We won't be people who react in fear. In Jesus' name, Father, that's that's not a, a, a statement. That's a cry. That's a help us, Lord, not to do that. Help us, Father, to be strong in love and in good works and in overcoming evil with good. Let us be slow to speak on on every side. Let us be slow to anger on every side. And let us be quick to listen to each other 